following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. The story leading up to this, Jesus has been uh, explaining the end times. And uh, the question came up, when, you know, when will the temple be destroyed? When will these things happen? And Jesus has been explaining um, uh, in this chapter that there will be three main events, three periods of time that, that they need to know about. The first one is the fall of Jerusalem uh, that would be coming. Uh, the second thing is that that would be followed by the time of the Gentiles, a period when Jerusalem would be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles, and God's focus would shift from uh, Jerusalem, from the Jews, to uh, the Gentiles. And uh, the end of that would be the end times and the return of Christ. Um, uh, when, <clears throat> when the people hearing Jesus' teaching heard these things, what they were most interested in and what, what they were most fascinated by, and, and maybe we are much like that, is they wanted to know the details about when, right? When are these things going to happen? I want to mark my calendar uh, so I know when these things are going to happen. And what's going to be the, the signs? What's going to be going on that will uh, show us uh, that, that those, those things are near? And, of course, it's for us a great fascination. You know, we'd like to know what's going to happen uh, in the future, uh, it's an interest for us. But for Jesus, the, and he does give some indication of the signs that will lead up to each of these events. We'll talk about that re, in review. Uh, but really what Jesus is much more concerned about than the when is the how should we then live, right? If, if the world is moving in this direction, if, the, if uh, all things will culminate and end in a grand finale, a blaze of glory like my picture there, um, There'll be some end to the world. Uh, Jesus' real concern is how should we as his disciples and followers live uh, in light of knowing where everything is going? How do we prepare? How do we, um, how do we make sure that our life counts? And so Jesus really, in the, in the parable of the fig tree, he, he gives a parable and an exhortation. And it's really his application to the doctrine of end times. Right? So Jesus it's kind of taught in a, in a real brief sum, summary form his, his theology of, of the future of the end times. But then he, he applies it in our life here. So this is much more practical, much more how do we um, live out these things in our life. So let's read the passage, starting in verse uh, 29, Luke 21, starting in verse 29. And Jesus told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that the day come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. 
But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning all the people came uh, to him in the temple to hear him. Um, so what does Jesus tell us about how we are to be arranging and ordering our lives now with this knowledge that Jesus will return one day, uh, that it's coming to the end. Uh, well, he says, first of all, that we really need to know the time we're living in. Do you know which time you are living in right now? Um, uh, and, and he gives the, a parable of a fig tree as an example. He says, look at the fig tree, look at all the trees. As soon as they get leaves, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. Now, I don't know how this works in Thailand because, like, the trees, like, can, seem to always have leaves. And, and I don't know what season it is. It's just, it's like the miserable season and the more miserable season, right? And then there's the not-so-miserable season when it's just so polluted you can't breathe the air, right? So maybe if Jesus was giving the parable here, he would say, you know the signs when the mountains are on fire, you know it's about to be the hot season and you can't breathe or something like that. Uh, but if you know how trees work and you live in places where there's more distinct seasons, um, spring is marked by the leaves, uh, the trees getting leaves. Uh, the fig tree was, uh, in, in Israel, the last tree to get its leaves. So many other trees would start to leaf out, but when the fig tree leafed out, you knew that summer was, was approaching. Time to break out the shorts, you know, the swimming suit, get out the barbecue grill, because it's summertime, right? Um, so he says, he says uh, so it is with the end. He says, I've given you the signs. I've told you what will be marking the seasons. Um, pay attention to those signs and know how to read them. Know what time you're living in. Right? So, so the important thing is to, is to know the signs and know how to read them. I didn't get to do this last week, so I'll do it this week because it's just fun. Right? Uh, do you know how to read the signs and what you should do about it? I love this one. This is actually a Thai sign. Uh, I, I won't read it in Thai. Warning alcohol. Warning. Alcohol impairs judgment. And apparently, if you drink too much, you'll want to kiss a fish. It's awesome. So the sign's really clear. If you don't want to you know, end up dating a fish, don't drink. All right, next one. Uh, danger. I have no idea, really. Uh, Low-flying aircraft. Here's a, this one is even more so. What, what is this, right? I'm not sure what it's warning against. Like rollerblading while eating ice cream or being old and wearing shorts? I, I'm not sure. Um, it's all just bad at every level, right? So anyway, uh, it's, it's important to know what the sign means. And then it's important to know what you're supposed to do about it, right? What are we supposed to do in light of, this, of, the, of, the, of the signs? So, so do we know what, what, sign, what time you are living in, right? What are the times you are living in now? So here's your options, okay? Behind door number one, Jesus gave three periods. Remember, I told you, three periods, the fall of Jerusalem. And the sign for that, for that was that the city would be encamped by armies. That was the sign, all right? Uh, are we in the sign of the, uh, of the fall of Jerusalem? Are we in that time? Anybody? Anybody? Good. Yay, that's right. Not that one, right? Because that's already happened. That one's done. We can check that one off. Second one, the time of the Gentiles. And the signs of that time would be this. The time of the Gentiles would be marked by wars, 
Political turmoil and unrest, chaos, lots of natural disasters. Right? Okay, second one. Third one, the time of the end. That would be marked, the signs of that would be universal, unmistakable signs in the heavens, universal, unmistakable signs in the oceans, and the Son of Man coming in the clouds. Okay, so here's your options. A, follow Jerusalem. B, time of the Gentiles. C, end of the world. Okay, how many vote for A? How many vote for B? How many vote for C? How many are just not paying attention? Yeah. Right, B, right? We got that one right, B, right? Right now, there's, there's no universal, uh, unmistakable science in the heavens. Although, if you're up at 5 o'clock this morning, was anybody up and see the moon and uh, Venus and Jupiter all lined up? It was awesome. I don't know if it's going to be like that tomorrow morning, but it was super cool. Um, but I, I think the science is going to be bigger than that, okay? As cool as that was, I think it's going to be bigger than that, right? So we are not yet in the time of the end. So we're in the time of the Gentiles. So what does that mean? What, what do we do as we live in the time of the Gentiles? Well, uh, it's a time when, G- when, when Jesus said that God would turn his attention away from Israel, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, and his focus would go towards the nations. And God would move his saving activity from uh, exclusively focused on Israel to now the nations. And uh, he, he wants to, to take his, his gospel message of salvation to the nations. So we live in that time. Uh, and, and, uh, and so the focus for us is to be uh, proclaiming Christ to the nations, uh, taking Jesus and his good news to the Gentiles. It's the time when he is going to save them, when uh, he has called us to go and make disciples of every nation, that his desire is that every tongue and tribe and nation will know him, will have a gospel witness, will, will have the light of, of Christ. Uh, Romans 11.25 says it this way, uh, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles comes to Christ. And so, it's this great picture that God is, is focused on the Gentiles and he, he has this plan for reaching the nations. And there will be a full, complete number. Right? And, and someday, uh, the, the, the last Gentile will, will, will hear the good news and it, it will be the end of that era and it will, it will bring in the next age or era. So our mission during this time is to be, to be spreading the good news, to be working hard to bring the gospel to, uh, to the world. Um, uh, Joshua and I had the opportunity this past week to go to one of these places and God's heart, I believe, is that there would be a gospel witness, a light in every place, among every people group, among every tribe. And Joshua and I got to go to a, with the team from Southern Gables, some of the Southern Gables crew, to a village um, way, way up at the end of the world. We drove forever. I thought we were going to like end up at the North Pole we drove for so long. Uh, we get to this village, and a uh, beautiful village sits down in this, this bowl. Uh, 200 families there, and, and not one single Christian. And in fact, uh, as they talk to people there, we find out that they've been very, very hostile to the gospel. When people have tried to go in and ask to, to share the gospel, they've absolutely refused. And so we're trying to kind of break down some barriers and... Uh, we took uh, Steve and, and a lot of Grace families collect plastic tubs 
and bottles, and we distributed a whole truckload of these plastic tubs and bottles as a way to try to open the door, try to prepare the soil for the gospel. And that's what we should be about in this age, finding those lost places where there's no witness and trying to proclaim the gospel there. Uh, but, but not only that, we're not only to be uh, focused on that mission, but we're also to be aware and be preparing for the next, the next thing on the, on the docket, right? the next event coming in history. So Jerusalem's already fallen. We're in the time of the Gentiles. What's next? Well, what's next is the end time, right? the end time. And Jesus, uh, one of the more problematic passages in all the Gospels uh, is in this verse where he says, um, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Would love to just skip that passage (laughs) because it's really confusing. What does it mean? What did Jesus mean when he said, This generation will not pass away until all these things happen? Uh, Well, it could mean that Jesus' disciples and those who he spoke to would live until they saw all this done. Uh, And if that's what he meant, then he lied because it didn't happen that way. In fact, some of them presumably died before Jerusalem fell. Um, Even if they all lived to see the fall of Jerusalem, I'm pretty sure they're all dead by now. They're dead. They're long gone. And we're still not to the end time. So... So that's certainly not what Jesus meant, because Jesus would not have made that mistake, right? He's, he's God. He, we can trust his, his word as inspired and authoritative without error. Uh, here's, of all the options I don't have time to go into, if you're really fascinated with this, I'll let you read the commentaries. Here's my, what I, my pick of the best option. I think what he means is this. He means that this generation, meaning the generation that will see these these unmistakable universal signs in the heavens. When that generation sees the signs, that generation will not pass away before the end comes. In other words, he's saying, when the end comes, it will come quickly. And, and in one generation, it will be done. Right? So if, if you are alive, when you see those unmistakable signs in the heavens and on the ocean... Um, it's happening, right? You, you, it won't be something that your grandchildren see. You will see it, right? You will see it. It will happen that quickly. And that fits with other scripture in terms of when the end comes, it will be quickly. It will be a violent and turbulent time. But when it starts, watch out, because the end is coming quickly. Jesus will return, right? Um, so we need to be preparing for that. Now, we're not living in that age, but the reality is it could happen at any time. And Jesus says it could come, it could come on you like suddenly, like a trap. Right? So you need to be prepared. You need to be ready. You need to be looking for the signs. And you need to be pre-arranging your life for that day when it comes. Because Jesus has told us, and, other, and Paul also tells us, that when it comes, it's not going to be easy. There will be persecution. There will be troubles. The world will even be more turbulent and more chaotic than it is now. It will be a difficult time. And the reality is we're 2,000 years past the fall of Jerusalem almost, right? which means we're 2,000 years closer to the end. Um, so we need, we need to be looking out, preparing our lives. Now, of course, 
all of you who believe in the pre-trib rapture, you're good, right? It's, you're just going to disappear and you won't have to deal with it. The rest of you, prepare, right? And, and if you're pre-trib rapture, I would prepare anyway just in case they got it wrong. And, and um, I'm not going to get into theological words here, but I think you might be wrong, right? And the reason is that Jesus is telling his followers, Christians, that they've got to be prepared for this next season, right? Um, I don't know if you'll make it all the way through the tribulation, all the way through this troubled time. Maybe Jesus will, you know, eject us at some point. But I think you will be around to see the initial signs and face the initial persecution. All right, sorry. I think you're going to deal with some of the tribulation. Uh, Either way, I would be prepared. So how do we we prepare? Um, I don't think Jesus has in mind here stashing large amounts of dried food in your basement Right or you know getting Randy. It's good to see you, Randy. Getting Randy to build us you know nifty water filters because he knows how to do that, uh, so that we're prepared. I don't think or you know stashing you know buying generators and stashing you know gasoline. I don't think that's what Jesus may, means by being prepared. Uh, he means plan ahead by having a life that is spiritually strong and able to face the persecution and difficulty that's coming. Right. You've got to gear up spiritually for what is coming ahead and anticipate that day. So how do we do that? How do we gear up spiritually? What does it look like to be fitting ourselves emotionally, spiritually, um, in our heart for the troubles that may come upon us? Well, he tells us, and he tells us in verse 34, he says, Watch yourselves lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day, that that coming day, comes upon you suddenly, suddenly like a trap. For it will will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Jesus says that day will come suddenly. When it comes, it will come quickly. And it will be like a trap that will spring on, on all those on the face of the whole earth. And so we need to anticipate it and be prepared for it. And he gives us some some suggestions here of what that needs to look like. How do we prepare for the troubles that may be ahead? Well, first of all, he says, don't let your life be weighed down. He says, don't don't become heavy of heart. And it's really a picture of a person who's stuck, who's gotten mired down in the in the in, in the mud of life and its problems. Right? Their life or their heart is heavy with the affairs of daily life. Um, and, and the struggle just to survive. And here's the reality. Life is hard. And, and Jesus understands that one of the greatest temptations and, and obstacles for us is that we get so caught up with just living and dealing with the, the, the difficulties of life today, here and now, that we lose sight of where life is going. Right? How many of you feel that sometimes life is just about to kill you? Right? Like, you just feel overwhelmed with the problems of daily life. Um, the reality is, it is hard, right? Uh, and, and, and here's an even greater reality. It's harder if you are a missionary or living cross-culturally, right? So that means for most of us here in this room, life is at a whole other level of hard than everybody else. Now, let me just show you, illustrate here... Um, how hard? And this, this is based on some research, research done by uh, Dr. Lois Dodd, who does member care for missionaries and cross-cultural workers. 
Uh, and what these red bars, I know you can't see the writing. All you can see are the red bars, so I'll explain. Uh, this is based on a uh, stress test. And it's a, it's a survey that you can take. Uh, the, I forget the name of the test, but you take this quiz, and it, it assigns stress values to life events. So, for example, moving gets a certain score. Um, a death or a loss gets a certain score, all the way down to simple and positive things like getting married or uh, getting a new house. All those get a score. So you go through this test and you score the life events that you're currently dealing with, and you get a score. Uh, now, in this test, and, and according to the, the research, the Holmes-Ray is the name of the, of the test. On the whole Holmes-Ray study uh, test, they found that when people got 200 points, 200 stress points within a year, right, that that, that was serious. That was high stress, right? Um, for those who had a score of 200 points or more, um, half of those found that, uh, were hospitalized within two years with heart attacks, uh, diabetes, cancer, or other severe illness. Okay, so here's the deal. If you, get two, if you score 200, chances are, are 50% that within two years you'll end up in the hospital with serious, serious problems. Okay, if you score 300, 90% of those people ended up in the hospital within two years. Okay, so this, this, this chart up here, all right, so high is 200. So the first bar on the very top is 200. That's high. The next bar uh, is 300. That's very dangerous, right? Um, the next bar is, is about 400. Okay, this is like we're going to start calling the funeral home, right? The bottom bar, you know what the bottom bar is? The bottom bar is the score of the average missionary. They say the average missionary lives with a stress score of about 600, right? And a lot of missionaries, within their first term, their first three years, gets a score of 900, right? You're already dead. You don't just don't even know it yet. Like, you died before you got here, right? Um, what, what it means is that for most of us, we live at a really a deadly level of stress, right? Uh, because of the things that we have to deal with. Um, juggling an extremely busy schedule with work, family, travel, ministry, church, Dealing with uh, all the all the issues of being a foreigner, immigration, visas, uh, learning a language, or just being frustrated that you can't speak the language, right? Uh, not being able to communicate, not being able to deal with things, right? What do you do when you know a pipe breaks in your bathroom and your bathroom is flooded and it's going down through your kitchen ceiling, and you realize that I don't even I don't know who to call, I don't even know to, where to start looking. And if I do get a hold of somebody, I don't know how to say it in Thai that I need help, right? And so all of those things are stressors that we deal with. Um, and, and that stress and the financial pressures we deal with, all of that, is compounded. It makes relationships difficult and it adds strain and stress to our relationships, to our marriage, to parenting, right? This is the life we all live, right? And Jesus says, be careful, be on the watch out that the cares of daily life do not uh, cause you to miss what's coming, right? That you get so caught up in dealing with these daily battles and just trying to survive life that you lose sight of what is coming, right? So how do we do that? How do we, in the midst of, of the stress and life and cares of this world that we all deal with, 
how do we how do we deal with that? Well, he gives us two negatives to start with. He says, first of all, don't deal with it by by running away from your problems. He says, don't let your heart grow heavy in dissipation and drunkenness. Dissipation literally is being dizzy because you are drunk or dealing with the headache of the hangover the next day. He says, don't deal with life through drunkenness. Uh, And and the picture there, I I really believe, I'm kind of adding a little bit here, I don't think too much though, is this idea that when when life gets too stressful and we're hitting six, seven, eight hundred on the stress scale, the way we deal with that is to medicate ourselves through an addiction. I can't deal with it, the pressure, the stress is too much, I'm just going to have... I'm going to drink some, some alcohol. I'm going, to, I'm going to do some drugs. Uh, or one of many other addictions that is the way I escape from the reality of those problems. Um, he says, do not run away by fleeing to addictions, by fleeing to an escape that numbs you to the stress. Um, and, and I would define an addiction as anything that we turn to or engage in in order to avoid dealing with life's stress and problems. That's that's one of the functions of what an addiction does and what makes it so powerful in our life. It is a way to escape all that stress. And I get drunk enough, and all of a sudden, it's not such a problem anymore, right? I feel good about all my problems, right, Until until it wears off. So anything can be an addiction, drugs, alcohol, Sexual addictions, uh, pornography, uh, food and eating can be an addiction, right? Um, shopping, uh, uh, reading, right? You get addicted to romance novels, novels or fantasy novels, work or exercise. Anything can be an addiction if it's a way to escape from life, if it becomes an unhealthy to, way to deal with problems. Now, how do you tell? Because, like, okay, like, is any, did anybody eat yesterday? Did you eat more than once? Oh, addicts, every one of you, right? Uh, how, do you, how do you decide what's an addiction and what's just habits of life, right? What's just healthy and normal? How do you, how do you draw those lines? Well, I'm not going to give a whole thing on addictions. Uh, uh, we don't have time for that, but let me just give you a couple things to distinguish between things in your life that are habits or healthy enjoyment of life versus an addiction. First of all, it's an addiction if it causes you to lose control, right? Addictions are beyond our ability to control how we use or engage in those activities, right? So if you cannot stop, somebody says, I think you're drinking too much. And uh, to, to prove that you're not, why don't you stop drinking for a month or two? Right? If you can't do that, it's an addiction. It's an addiction. It's something that you must have in your life, right? On the other hand, if it's a habit, a habit, something that you just enjoy as a healthy part of life, it's under con- control, right? It, you can take it or you can leave it, right? And, and you feel no pain by its loss. Second thing, uh, distinguishing between healthy life and addictions, is its main purpose um, a way of avoiding dealing with problems, right? Um, is it just something I enjoy as a simple pleasure in life? Or is, it, is my need for it driven by, by, by great need of coping with life's burdens? Okay, here's the way you check that. Um, do you feel a great overwhelming temptation 
and even a driving need to engage in this activity when life is most stressful. Right? So you're feeling stressed, things are bad, you're, you're feeling pressured, and, and you, you, that's when you feel the greatest temptation to run to that thing, right? to that escape. Um, when it's healthy, it's one, a part of, one part of many good things in your life. When it's an addiction, right, uh, it, is the, it is the dominant force in your life. Um, third thing, uh, is it in balance, right? Does it have balance? Uh, we, should have, we should enjoy lots of things in life, right? We should enjoy lots of good things. Uh, God's given us many great gifts. Are all those things in balance, right? Or does one of those things become so important in our life that it outweighs all the rest? Right? Those are signs of addictions. Um, and, and the reality is, what Jesus is saying here is, addiction is always a sin because it is an idol that substitutes God's power in your life to deal with those problems with, with the addiction. Right? It becomes the thing that we turn to to deal with and cope with life. Um, and the reality is we are all addicted or prone to addiction. Right? We may not be under its power, but all of us would have a natural way that we would deal with all this stress. The thing that we would tend to default to to deal with it. And maybe it's working too much. Maybe it's um, you know, sleeping too much. Maybe it's going becoming an exer- exercise you know, a fanatic. Uh, maybe it's... Uh, you know, Eating, overeating, eating way too much sugar. I mean, all of these things. Uh, Pornography on the Internet, uh, all of it. Okay, there are all ways that we cope with life in unhealthy ways. Um, So Jesus says, don't don't go there. Okay, that's not going to help you prepare for Jesus' return. Okay, it's not dealing well with life. Second thing he says, though, is don't, don't be overrun by your problems. Maybe most of us as Christians know that that's bad, and so we avoid those things. But what we find is that we're still just being overrun by life's problems. Right? We feel this great weight and pressure and stress, and we, we feel really like we're in, in the deep end of the pool and we can't swim, and we're just treading water trying to stay afloat, but we have the sense that in any second, we're just going to sink and we're going to be over. Right? You ever felt that way? Uh, you feel that way now, right? that life is just too much. Uh, if that's where we are, we're in trouble of getting caught up in life and not being prepared for eternity, for the end, for Jesus' return. And certainly, if this is where we're dealing with life now, if the end comes, we're not going to have the strength or capacity to deal with the persecution and difficulties that may come with the end times. So how do we deal with it? Well, Jesus gives a positive. He says, uh, he says this, uh, watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Okay, and the words there really mean uh, take care of yourself. Um, it means to give attention to. To watch is to give attention to, to look after, to, to pay attention to yourself. Now, for Christians, some of you, this is going to be like heresy, but I, I want you to look at what Jesus says here. You must take care of yourself, right? Priority number one, Jesus says, you've got to look after your own life. You've got to learn to take care of your heart and mind and body and soul, right? You've got to 
you've got to grow and become strong in him so that you can deal with life. It's your responsibility to look after and take care of yourselves. It is not being selfish, right? And this is not the same as denying yourself. There is something about denying ourselves that is important, but that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about giving yourself good care, uh, good soul care, good heart care, good body care, right? Uh, he says, if you want to be prepared for the end, you've got to take care of yourself. Because uh, really nobody else is. I know you got married because you thought your wife would. But like uh, this Sunday is a perfect example of how this works, you know. It's, it's a women's retreat and about half of our guys are gone because they're not capable of getting dressed and getting here on their own. Without their wives, you know, taking care of them. But praise God that our spouses at some levels take care of us, right? However, that's... Um, Oftentimes, an unfair expectation to put on your spouse, right, husband or wife. Um, and ultimately, it's your responsibility. When you get to heaven and your life was a wreck and you were an addict your whole life and you, you washed out and you're going to stand before Jesus, which is the, what this is all about. We're going to stand before Jesus. We're going to give an answer for our life. And you cannot say, well, if you'd just given me a better wife, I, I think I could have made it, right? But you gave me a wife who didn't take good enough care of me, right? Um... Uh, you're going to get the buzzer on that one, right? Uh, and you're going to get bonked over the head. Because if your wife finds you, you know, she's there for eternity. So watch out. Right? You, we are responsible to take care of ourselves. How do we do that? Well, Jesus doesn't talk about it here, but let me give you just briefly some things. Uh, John 15, we, do, we need to be abiding in Christ. Right? Uh, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We need to learn what it means to hide our life, to abide, to live in Christ. And, and there's a lot to that. Uh, and we don't have time for it today, but you need to learn how to do that. Uh, John 15:9, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. We need to know how to immerse our life deeply in the power of God's love. Right? And the wonder of his love and grace that, he, that he's demonstrated so powerfully on the cross. And you know how to, how to be deeply embedded in that. Uh, Matthew 6.33, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. We know how to set the priorities of our life and our time and our focus on his kingdom and his righteousness, doing his will. So if you do that, if you, if you worry about... Uh, doing God's will, serving him, honoring him. He's going to take care of all those things. Right? He's going to take care of it. You know, one of the reasons I think that missionaries can, can live at the 600 stress level thing, uh, partly we're superhuman, right? Well, no, no. But the reality is we, we learn how to do this, right? We learn how to not worry about those things. We, we learn how to give those things to God. And we can focus on ministry because we have this confidence that we don't have to worry about it. God's going to take care of it. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares. Same word as the word here for life's care. Same exact word. Cast those cares upon Jesus for he cares for you. Right? Learning how to trust Jesus to deal with all the stuff that makes life spin out of control. How to put it in his hands and trust him with it instead of grabbing it back and worrying about it all the time. Uh, Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all you who are labor, all you who labor and are heavy laden, who are burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. We've got to learn to be that kind of people who know how to uh, uh, yoke our life with Christ, to do life together with him uh, so that he uh, gives us his strength and his power and we, we find rest for our souls, right? It's the only way. And, and by the way, if, you're, if you are in a place where you're really battling with those addictions, uh, you cannot battle those addictions head on. You cannot beat them by power of will. What you need to do is you need to take this path of resting in Jesus so that life is no longer so stressful. Now, there's other things you need to do. It's not just that. But at the core of it, you've got to come to a place where life's not stressing you out anymore because you, are, you know how to rest in, in God's power uh, and his strength in the power of the cross, right? Then those things will lose their power over your life and uh, you'll have his strength to fight those battles. Okay, so Jesus says, don't, 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 don't run away from your problems and addictions. Don't uh, get overwhelmed by them, but, but take care of yourself by... Um, paying attention to your heart and soul and spiritual life. Second thing he says to do, a second exhortation, he says in verse 36, but stay awake at all times. Stay alert, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Uh, Jesus says, be constantly vigilant in prayer. Constantly vigilant in prayer. He says, stay awake, stay alert. The, the picture is a, of a guard who's on guard duty, who's vigilant throughout the night watch. And he says, do this all the time, right? Be constantly alert about your spiritual condition and be alert about what's going on around you. Right now, what is your spiritual health? Right? What is your spiritual condition? How well are you doing this abiding in Christ? Uh, how much are you carrying the weight and burden of life's worries and problems, right? Be aware of that. Be alert and be prepared to act upon the things you need to do to take care of yourself. He right? says, so stay alert. Uh, and, and we do that, he says, by, by praying, first of all, that you may have strength to overcome these problems. Uh, we need to be diligently and vigilantly praying to prevail over all this stuff. All these problems, all the stressors of life. Um, uh, the, the word strength really has the idea of the power to prevail over these problems, the ability to overcome an enemy. Uh, and the idea of escape doesn't mean that we avoid the problems, but we know how to get our way through them. Right? And Jesus says the only way you can really do this effectively and successfully is if you learn how to pray through these issues. Now, there could be coming day, and I don't know if it's going to be in our lifetime or not. Maybe it won't, but maybe it will be in the lifetime of our children or our grandchildren. Uh, chances are very good. It will be in, in, within the next couple generations. Right? Uh, are we modeling to our children and our grandchildren a life of earnest, fervent, prevailing prayer? Right? Where we know how to take the, the issues we deal with right now in life, and conquer them through prayer by appropriating God's power and strength to fight those battles. Right? Um, 
the statistics on Christians' prayer life is, is not good. I think I read some, somewhere that for the average pastor in the United States, his average prayer time per day was something like four minutes a day. Now, those could be some really intense four minutes that he's conquering the whole world in those four minutes, or most pastors aren't praying very well, right? Uh, I don't know what it is for missionaries and for Christian workers and, you know, uh, but are we the kind of people who know how to pray in a way that overcomes the problems in your life? Right now, what's the biggest battle that you're fighting? Right? right now, what's the single thing in your life that's most stressful? Is it your marriage? Is it your job? Is it your boss? Is it the people that you're the boss over? Right? Is it, um, you know, right now the immigration problems, you know, um, are you dealing with that effectively by prayer, right? by praying for God's power to overcome? Uh, so we pray for strength to overcome. And Jesus says the things that will come up. So we need practice now because he says the things that will come up could be even worse. And he named a whole bunch of things, wars, political chaos, false prophets and false teachers, natural disasters, and the economic trouble caused by those disasters. Persecution for the name of Jesus, being hated, being betrayed and, and abandoned by family and friends. Right? Uh, that's what's in the future. Uh, and at some point we will all em- encounter some of those problems. Are we practicing dealing with those things and appropriating an overcoming spirit in prayer? But that's not all we pray for. He says that you should also pray that you would be able to stand up before Jesus. Pray to stand before Jesus. Um, and, and the picture is that one day the end will come and, and, and in that day Jesus will come on the cloud and he will show up on earth and everyone will stand before him. And, and scripture tells us in other places it's not just those living at the end. That every human being throughout all time will, will be raised to life and every human being will stand before Jesus at the end. Right? And, and that is the day we are preparing for. One day we will stand before him. And have you ever wondered what that's going to look like? We should be imagining that. In fact, I think it's a good thing every day to imagine that. Okay, at the end of your day, say, okay, to, to, at the end of the day before you go to bed, say, okay, one day I'm going to have to stand before Jesus and I'm going to have to explain today, right? What are you going to say about today, right? How are you going to explain all that you did today? Or didn't do, you know, the, the, the mean things he said to your wife, the way you yelled at your kids, the way you were kind of a jerk driving around, you almost killed three people, right? And, uh, and the way you lost your temper, right? What am I going to tell Jesus when I stand before him and I have to answer for today? Well, the reality is that um, if we have this notion that it's going to be in my own strength and my own power that I'm going to stand before Jesus, we're all going to be in trouble because the reality is none of us are going to be able to stand on our own before Jesus and give a good answer. Because when it comes to it, we're going to stand before him as broken, sinful, rebellious people who are addicted to all kinds of stuff, who, who, who got squashed by life. Right? Uh, praise God, though, we don't have to do that, right? We don't have to stand before Jesus on our own merit. Uh, we stand before him in him, 
We stand before Jesus in Jesus. And, and, and the, the secret to this is that we've got to learn how to live in Christ. Because when we stand before Jesus, the only way we're going to be able to stand up to it, to stand up to the scrutiny of his gaze, of his piercing eyes that will pierce through our soul, is to, is to be well-practiced as people who, stand, who know how to stand in the power of the cross, who know how to stand in the work of Jesus that he's done for us. And then we stand before him with the righteousness of Christ that he has given to us through his blood that was shed on the cross. Um, The only way we can stand before him then is if we've learned how to stand in him now. And and Jesus is saying, you've got to know how to stand because one day you will stand before him. And we need to be well practiced at that. Uh, daily, we need to be coming to the cross, confessing sin, being honest about who we are, and receiving grace, and, and living in his life-transforming power of forgiveness. Uh, so when we stand before him, praise God, first of all, we stand before him in the righteousness of Christ. We are clothed in his good works and his deeds, and he's removed the sin. Right? So we won't have to be hiding any sin. Isn't that that good news, right? There's there's no sin we have to hide from him because it's covered and washed in Jesus. Uh, But we will also give an account of our life, Paul tells us, for what we have done with our life for him. How has our life been made to count for him? Uh, And again, we can't do that on our own strength. Uh, John 15 makes it clear we, we cannot produce and bear fruit on our own. But in this, we do have a greater role and responsibility. As we will one day stand before Christ, he is going to examine our life. And, and uh, the parable of the fig tree is a good image here. Right? The, the fig tree, uh, the goal of it is not to just have leaves. Right? Uh, it's not just pretty. It is pretty, but that's not the main goal. What's the main goal of the fig tree? Bear fruit, right? If you happen to like figs, right? Um, or at least Fig Newtons. So that's the closest I've ever gotten to a fig is a Fig Newton, right? Uh, The goal of the fig tree is the fruit. When we stand before Jesus, what he is going to examine and what he wants to see in our life is fruit that he has been able to produce through our life. Uh, So how do we do that? Well, our part of that is by attending to our life, as Jesus said, taking care of ourselves, growing making sure that we are filled with his presence in his life so that we have lots of leaves and we produce lots of fruit. Perhaps one of the best images of this actually comes from Psalm chapter 1. So let me read it as we close. Uh, This is a picture of what what we want our life to look like when we stand before Jesus. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Right? That's our job. Delighting in the word, meditating in the word, feeding in the word day and night. Day and night. Consuming his word. This man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. In all that he does, he prospers, right? 
Um, do you want to be that kind of person when you stand before Jesus? I, mean, I tell you, I don't want to be any other kind of person, right? I want to be a person who's been in the Word, whose life is, is, is abiding in Christ, who's planted in His love and grace, who knows how to live out the freedom and grace of His forgiveness through the cross. And, and our life is full of fruit, right? full of fruit. And we stand before Jesus, and we all want to hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant, right? Don't let life today bury you so that life on that day you are unprepared, right? Take care of yourself. Be attentive to your spiritual soul so you'll be prepared to stand before him one day when he returns and he calls us to himself. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org.